I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. I'm joined again by Charlie Ford. Charlie, welcome. Hi, uh, thanks for having me on once again, Tom. Yeah, thank you for joining me. We're, we're going to talk today, aren't we, about the the major championships and maybe the importance, or you know, how important the major championship is. Because um, to me, I've always kind of looked at it, and I think it's a lot of it's maybe a bit of a bias because I'm a big fan of people like Lee Westwood, and and I've always found it very unfair that his whole career um, has been based around whether. Uh, he's won a major or not. I always think he's done far too much in the game to to really be kind of just focused on that. Um, and I just want to sort of look at you know how important a major victory is. Um, you know how easy or how difficult it is to win one. Trying to guess that sort of thing and, and look into that. And, and I think we've got a couple of points, haven't we, that we've made that that should go into that in a bit more detail. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember when you first this question with me approached this question with me and I thought that majors were massively important in terms of that's what people remember in other sports and in like individual sports like tennis things like that it's how many is Nadal won how many is Federer won um, but I feel that through golf itself with the other factors to it other big events Ryder Cup sort of status and how much that is in line with someone's career rather than a major success by itself that there's a lot more factors involved in who goes down, really, and in history as great players and sort of the, the legends of the game rather than purely a statistic on how, uh, have you won a major or not and then how many majors have you won. Yeah, absolutely. I think the tennis is actually a really good example you give there because, um, you know, the same venues are used all the time for the same tournament. So once you've played Wimbledon once, you know what you're expecting when you go back next year. Um, same with the French Open playing on clay, etc. You know, Nadal's typically performs really well on there and, and things like that. And, um, you know, although Augusta, which is one of the, obviously the one coming up and, and why we're sort of having this discussion, um, that's the only major that they go back to every year, isn't it? And to me, I consider the, the Masters, though everyone sees it as kind of like the pinnacle um, of a player's career, I think it's actually the easiest major to win. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. Just on the sheer numbers of it, um, in terms of the guys that are playing, I mean, there's... Also, you've got, you've got winners from PGA Tour events that could possibly be quite a bit out of form. You've got past winners of the of the Masters itself and, and a lot of amateurs. So, all of a sudden, you're reducing that field down to kind of half of what a normal event probably would be in terms of who could actually win the tournament. And if you're looking at only really 20, 30 guys who could win, I think that's... That'd be, and, and the the history of the golf course that people know the golf course having been there on numerous occasions that that becomes the easiest one in that regard I think for a lot of guys to win um, I think it's probably the the one that you it's the easiest to predict, predict in a way on who the winner might be and or who's at least going to be in contention because once you have a little bit of form going in they all seem to if you, and they've been there before they all seem to then compete I don't think it's one that you often get many too uh, too many players from like completely out of the box we think where where's that that come from as a, as a win so I, i'd say that is that is certainly that case and there's less elements in play there two times are closer together and just weather wise you're not getting what you get at the british open in terms of you could be you could be playing great but be on completely the wrong side of the draw and it could cost you three or four shots on 
on the other side and that's that's becomes too much to make up and um, whereas there you tend to get a lot of pretty similar conditions um, throughout the days and maybe different this year we're obviously with it being later in the year but on a, on a typical masters date i think you there's a lot more consistency about it and it's a little easier to to predict who's going to be up there this is the thing isn't it is that when you look at the the most recent winners of of the masters here tiger woods last year we know everything about his uh, deal with the augusta patrick reed had played there a couple of times had the perfect shot shape and and you know the the type of game you need to win at Augusta. Sergio Garcia was overdue a master, you know, a major victory. Danny Willett was maybe people would point to as a, a bit of a surprising one, but again, he was a player who was in form and had played at the Masters the year before. So it's, I would consider him in one of those kind of uh, the pool of players that you'd expect to go well and and not rule him out as you would some of the others. Yeah, I think he he's the one that probably sticks out in that sense. But I know at the time he'd won. I think he'd won a couple of times in New York going in. I know he was playing great going into the event, and still, really, like that's the one for me. It's got that's what's got away from speed. It's his kind of event. It's almost like a bit of a. It's horrible to say it in that sense, and don't take it away from Danny, but it's it always feels like it's the one that he lost rather than necessarily that that Danny really had won. It kind of probably never thought he was going to have a chance to win until that happened, and he was only one or two holes from the end up. So it's not quite the same probably pressure or uh, stress that he feel under to try and get over the line in a major than you would do on normal occasions yeah absolutely and that was the same like you say he'd won earlier i think it was a divide as a classic he'd won um he'd finished in the top three at wgc you know and like you say jordan had a lead going into the into the day he'd come back from five shots down at the start of the back nine danny would it um he was never really considering being able to win was he he was just playing as, as good as he could um trying to make up as much as you know as many shots as he could he was in the top five going into the day but uh, i mean he was only three shots back at the start of the, the, the day so you know at the start of the day he'd been expecting to go well but yeah i think back nine he's just like right let's just get as good a finish as we can do uh and then and then he obviously realized he had a chance to win it and got the job done but yeah like you say he'd done the hard part he'd, he'd got past you know 12 and, and places like that, that that would really catch you out if you were really under pressure yeah yeah i think that was one of those that got, i mean he handled it well in the last couple of holes to to get it get the job done but it certainly watching it i remember watching it at the time everyone was, it was just um, it felt like a formality where spieth was gonna wasn't gonna give it away he'd never shown any sign of doing that in any event before i had such a great record there right from the outset that he it was hard to imagine that was going to happen. And you see the odd ones like that in majors, don't you? In the same way as you have as Paul Lowry when he went on to win his at Carnoustie. And it's sort of one of those that he probably doesn't believe that, couldn't believe that he had the opportunity in a playoff to win. Um, I'm sure I've seen him talk about it since. And he said once he got to that playoff, he really felt like it was going to be his. But there's no way standing and sitting in the clubhouse as Van der Velde's teeing off 18 that he thinks he has a, a chance to win. That tournament, but obviously as it all unfolds, it's it's one of those that when it came down to playing the playoff, he has done everything he needed to in that in that sense, but and hit some amazing shots in that playoff. But it's almost like one of those that's remembered really for the the collapse of, of Jean Van der Velde rather than him necessarily yeah. and not quite kind of as, as some similarity to the way that that Spieth did and would it. Yeah, and the other one I kind of think on the similar lines is the 2006 US Open, isn't it, with, with Jeff Ogilvy winning that one? Because mm-hmm. even to, up until the 18th hole, he would have expected you know one of those guys 
uh, in second place in Fury Mikosil and Monty to to win, wouldn't you? And he, you know, he's he's sat there, he's done his job. Okay, he knew that if he made his putts coming down the stretch, he'd at least be in with a shout. But he never expected to be to win. So I think there's so many factors like that, and they're just two or three clear examples of why um, you know there maybe shouldn't be such a big emphasis on it because I think that a lot of players get criticised of being you know bottlers and chokers because they haven't won a, you know the very best in, in the majors now uh, Lee Westwood is obviously the, the, the biggest example I think me and you will probably refer to quite a few times is that this guy's won over nearly 50 times worldwide like winning is not a, a, a problem for him mm-hmm. um, it is just a case of um, you know, does it look? I mean, he's he's had sort of like I think it's four or five runner-ups and top fives. He's had twelve top fives in majors. Is it a case of uh, it just looks really bad because you remember those as opposed to because if he'd given away five tournaments over the whole span of his career, five regular tournaments, there wouldn't be much made of it, would there? He wouldn't be considered a choker because he'd won so many other events. Um, and I just think that maybe that they are so close in terms of like there's such a fine line between winning a regular event and a major event um, that there, there probably shouldn't be such an emphasis on it. Yeah, I think that I do believe that in order to win any sort any tournament, you're gonna you're gonna need a break here and there to go your way, or a break really to go against somebody who's close to the lead with you. And these guys who have won as many as Westwood as Monty have has done. They also have a hell of a lot of regular finishes in the top two, three, where they would have had chances to win. Maybe they've made a mistake coming in and it's cost them. But because it isn't the ma- a major, it's not highlighted to the same extent. Um, because he, he can't win that many times without being in contention a whole lot more times. Yeah, uh, I think that's where really Tiger was probably the is such, such a standout in that sense. But just because he, often he didn't do anything particularly fancy on the back nine that guys would make a mistake and he was just almost immune for a period of time of making errors and under the under the gun on the last on the back nine on the last day and I think that yeah you need those you need those breaks sometimes to go your way. Obviously you can you can people say you can make things happen and you can hit certain shots at certain times that but it those special shots often require still a little bit of fortune maybe to end up as close as they should have done or to make a put from a longer distance than you can make a 30, 40 foot on the last couple of holes or something like that. Um, so I think there's, especially nowadays when you've got top to golf tournaments like the players, you've got WGCs where the fields are so strong um, in terms of the top players. They're not the deepest fields in terms of how many guys are playing, but you have, you are, you have got the upper echelons of the game. And I think that those events, if, you, if you're winning those type of events, if you're winning FedEx Cups or Race to Dubai, um, those sort of level of tournaments, you're not far off of what a major is. And, and it's shown, you clearly shows that you have the game to to have won one. It's just a matter of there's only, there's only four in a year and that's not many, many opportunities really. No, absolutely not. And you know the other thing, especially with, with Tiger, as you mentioned, is between you know 1999 and 2002, Woods won seven of the eleven majors that he played in. So what you know in that period of time, what hope did everybody else have? Like 
that's a certain period of time there. I mean, everyone sort of talks about uh, when Podrick Harrington won his majors, you know, the three that he'd won, he took advantage of the fact that Tiger was out. Um, yeah. You know, that, you know, that, whether we think that or not, um, it certainly is a factor. And you know, I just think now, especially in this modern day, I think if we focus on the likes of um, Dustin Johnson only winning one major, um, John Rahm not yet having a major, although he's obviously got plenty of time on his hands, uh, Ricky Fowler not winning a major, people like the strength and depth of the players on tour at the moment, and this is why we're not seeing a runaway world number one, it you know, it almost seems impossible to, to suggest that the majors are such the barometer of success because you've only got four opportunities a year. One of those is at the same course every year. The other three rotate. So there's a good chance that you might not have ever seen that golf course you're going to play that year for a major championship. You don't know what weather you're going to get and you don't know what form you're going to be in going into it. You know, there's all about peaking at the right time. But if you've got a little niggling injury or you've had a couple of bad weeks or you've got the flu or, you know, there's, there's such a pressure. I mean, over the course of a season, all these things will play out. And, and if you're playing well and you're a good player, it will balance themselves out. But over four weeks, there's so many different factors that could really play into that. I just think it's such a such a harsh thing to focus in on. Yeah, I, I understand from like the, the amount of variables that are involved in a, in for one week for everything to go your way and for one week, whether it's a couple of players who are, have been informed all of a sudden do pick a niggle up of an injury or with some illness and it can be any sort of thing that can just throw people off um, even down to maybe it's equipment is it they a driver that they love is it's cracked and they can't don't feel comfortable replacing any little any little things like that can happen and can cost you a week or two but like it's no doubt over over a period of time you always you see who the best players are in in the world rankings and the big events will show over a period who the guys who contended the most. It's it's clear to see who are who are the best players, and then it's just down in those moments, and that's where it's really tough for me. I always look at when I'm looking at it. It's for me the biggest one is like now you look at Brooks. He's only won uh, eight tournaments and four of them are majors. It's like <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's outrageous, isn't it? So. It, and I know he's built that mentality up that this is these are the easiest ones to win. I'm here to win these. It's, but then the hard part for me is how does that not replicate into regular events? I know it's the pressure isn't the same, and maybe it's the intensity that he needs to feel that. But compared to a DJ, like say he's got he's won 23 times and he's won I think it's half a dozen uh, World Golf Championships and yet only one major. I mean, in time, if he'd was was to add to that, add to that major tally, then it's a he kind of puts it to bed. But it's he's won so many golf tournaments. That's like it's showing that in my eyes, it's showing that he's the more consistent and better golfer over a period of time. But Brooks has has the four majors. So do people just think that the four majors that means that's it? You're he's the better player. He's done it under the biggest pressure, under under the top course, under the top stress of playing the, the the most difficult golf courses or the setups to challenge challenge every part of your game mentally and, and physically but yeah i think the thing with dustin is that you know i think because there has been multiple occasions where he he maybe should have won a major and he hasn't there's a there's so much focus on that but to me give me the guy that's won 13 consecutive seasons like 
He is. You know, every year he's good for a win. You know, yeah. every major he's probably going to have a chance or or go in with it with a chance. Um, but you know, it's very hard probably to compare that with Brooks because Brooks has done it. You know, it's not it's not a case of Brooks has come out and said they're the easiest to win and then not done it. He's he's won you know fifty percent of his wins are majors, so he's. He, had, he backs up what he says, but I think that actually the attitude that he takes to it kind of backs up the point a little bit that there's there's so much more stock put into a major than there really needs to be. If you go into it with the mindset of there's only 30 or 40 players to beat um, and they're no, they're no more difficult, especially Augusta where you've had five, ten looks at it before, um, you know, then, then obviously you're going to have a better chance. And I think... I wonder how much of it is a player listening to the noise of of the media. Did did Colin Montgomery and Lee Westwood let let that get into their heads? Um, did did the media, you know, the circus behind British media follow them around too much and cause it to stress? Because you do seem to think that, you know, you look at the you look at the guys that we talk about that haven't won one. You think of Lee Westwood, Luke Donald, Colin Montgomery, um, you know, the British players. It tends to be that the American guys, generally speaking, tend to get theirs done. I don't know if it's kind of a media relation thing that, that kind of goes to get in the way sometimes. Yeah, I think that, that could actually be a very valid point, I think, there with the media, because every time in lead up to a major, I imagine the press conferences beforehand, Monty and Westwood, Donald at the time. I mean, Paul Casey has, has won a lot of tournaments, but not a major. It's just sort of, it is the British, British guys that. You imagine they're getting questioned on it all the time. That even if you're very strong mentally, there has to be some sort of wearing of that on you and feeling like you're. Whether you feel like you're carrying the hopes of the Brits in a way that we've not had you know, tons of success, like tons of major success, um, or is it just a constant like pecking at you almost? So you haven't done it yet. Do you think this is the week? Do you think this? Why have you? Why haven't you done it? Why haven't you done it? And that constant question, and whether that just get into into the into their head. I mean, the same with sort of. I think Darren Clark probably had that for a lot for a while, and then almost when he thought he probably thought there was no chance of winning one again, his time had gone. That media, he was kind of a lot more under the radar going into that open, and he, he managed to to finally get over the line. Um, so I do, yeah, I think that there could be certain elements of the. The outside pressure may be seeping in because it's hard to believe that someone as dominant as, as Montgomery was in Europe that couldn't get just what and amount of times he won, and, and same with Westwood, not just one fell their way. Um, maybe there's something more on that. On that, whereas in America, there's a lot more. I know from when I was over there, and quite everything is it's building you up pretty much constantly, and that you can do this. You can't. It's it, there's not as much a in-depth sort of looking into why why haven't you done this or why haven't you it's just there's an acceptance that it will happen it's just it's gonna it will happen it is gonna happen just it just let it happen in that sense and rather than as in britain really pushing the pushing on the players asking them why and why why haven't you why haven't you rather than i think that goes across all sports into we seem to love to build build a player up just be able to knock them down and if that's football or if that's in in any sport really it's almost like the our media mentality in that way rather than i think in america from my experience in my time over there that there's very little very little of that unless people do something completely off the wall but a lot of it is really trying to push 
push their stars to be superstars. And that's the thing you mentioned there, the other sports. So when I think about it, and that was the point I was going to go on to, is that uh, the England football team is is expected to win every major tournament enters. You know, regardless of the form of our star players, regardless of injuries, regardless of who the manager is, regardless of you know where it's being hosted, what conditions it's going to be, in, etc. If we go to a World Cup or European Championships, we're expected to win it. Uh, we did have times when we had probably one of the best teams in the world, when we had you know the likes of. You know, Terry Ferdinand, Gerard Lampard, etc., Rooney, all in the same team. Um, but they were playing up against teams that are also really good. You know, they're still the best. You know, you've got Brazil, you've got Germany, you've got Italy. They're all still phenomenal. You had the Rugby World Cup team that finally, you know, won, won, you know, in 2003, I think it was. You know, I think it's just a case of in our, our uh, mentality is that we're actually. Um, maybe more superior than we are like you know how can you expect to win uh so much as a brit when the system i would say in america to the foundations of building even a golfer is so much superior to what we have i mean the college system in america compared to trying to wake your way on to the through the mini tours and through the amateur ranks in in england and scotland etc is is a lot different yeah it's it's certainly well in my my experience is is a little as a decade or so ago now but it was night and day back then really in terms of what opportunities were there for you when in college in america at a, at a at one of the the top universities you just have it feels like it's limitless in the sense of the funding the facilities that you have everything and there's no stone left unturned whereas and you have the luxury of being able to sort of hone your skills all all year round but everything is just geared towards excellence. Whereas I feel like through, there's no knock on England golf or anything like that, but just through the sheer fact of our, our weather and the limit, how much you're limited in through the winter months as an amateur is not necessarily going to many um, trips abroad, sort of if it's South African trips, Australian trips or whatever, you, you might get a, a few weeks here and there, but you you're, they're a long way behind the eight ball in that sense in terms of the opportunities that are afforded to them but players do make do, do make it and there's no no denying they can't but certainly over there I feel like that everything is geared towards excellence whereas here it's it's just hard to try and achieve that real elite level until players have to show kind of that they're pretty close to that and then the opportunities come to go away and spend time in the other places to to hone their skills, which is probably why you see so many Brits move move abroad and or have bases elsewhere in, in order to try and try and achieve that. Yeah, and I think that's a, another key point about moving abroad and base yourself over there. Is you look at you look at Montgomery and Westwood, and for, for the majority of their life, I know Westwood spent a little bit of time out in America, living there in Florida. Um, they they base themselves and spent most of their time on the European tour and lived at home, didn't they? Whereas Rory McIlroy, for example, went out. To, to America very early on uh, to hone himself and and get his his major championship victory. So there's definitely something in that. And I also think that that because now I think that and this is not to take anything away from the, the current crop of the best golfers in the world, but I think it's easier to be good at golf than it used to be. So before uh, the likes of Jack Nicholas and the likes of Lee Trevino, Seve, etc. Everything they worked on was through um, eye tests and feel. They had to learn their swings. They had to see it, uh, to rely on the coaches and what they saw. 
Whereas now it's it's all numbers, isn't it? It's the, there's TrackMan, that's all available to you throughout college. So that's why the, the likes of Colin Morikawa can just come out and win straight away. Not not because Colin Morikawa isn't a good player, but he's not infinitely better than than Phil Mickelson was coming out of college. They're both probably much for much in terms of skill level. Um, but it took Phil Mickelson 47 major attempts to to have a chance of winning one. Um, it's a Colin Morikawa two one I think you know might even, yeah. yeah so it's for me it's now that it's easier for to be good it's harder diff- to differentiate yourself it's now even harder to win one and even less realistic to expect people to to win one every time they go into one so the current crop of players you've got John Rahm Matthew Wolf Patrick Cantlay Tony Finau Ricky Fowler Xander Shoffley Tommy Fleetwood all these are expected to win majors every time they go in. They're expected to win one. When they don't win one, that's always a check against the name that they haven't done one. How many of them can realistically win one in the next decade just based on sheer statistics? Yeah, exactly. And you've also, with those guys, you're also adding into the ones that have won them that are still great players and that <laughs> as well, aren't you? So you, your DJ, Brooks, Rory, if, like it could be a Justin Rose or Adam Scott, anybody with like one of those players who's in, in form who already, already has a, a win under their belt is... It's hard statistically for everyone to to pick up that major victory just down to how many the the four events they are in a year. Um, and you're right. I do think, it, like you say, I think that's why we see a lot closer world rankings now and a lot of flip flopping between the top sort of five players in the world, maybe even going down a little bit further. That it's constantly changing. I feel like world number one is constantly changing. Half the time, it's hard to know who really is because it switches week to week in certain phases. But now coaching is just so much, all the data is there that coaching information that's out there for the coaches is far superior to what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. So it's, it's still great coaches are great coaches because of how they deliver that information to their player and what is necessary for them to know. But the actual information is now, out there is probably 90% accurate what you find on the internet and what you see people saying rather than I've spoke to a few coaches about it and they had said like going back years ago it was you basically had magazine articles and and books to read there was no real sort of correlation from one article to the next or anything like that you just had to kind of pick and pick pick and like piece it together yourself um, and then you got to learn the art of delivering what each player actually does need whereas now the information is is so good and Right through to the like the statistical analysis for everybody, it's it's really changed the game and it making it so hard to differentiate over a season, and that's why I think you see like the world rankings so closely knitted together, and that proves how how difficult it is to to separate like Tiger winning as you say it was seven and eleven, seven wins out of eleven. It's it's hard to imagine anyone at the minute doing anything even remotely close to that. I mean, Brooks's stretch was, was as dominant as anyone could imagine being, I think, in this period of time. But it's I look at so many of the big events at the minute, watching them from just for enjoyment. And whether it's the the playoff events at the end of last season and like the Masters coming up, it's how do you, who do you hang your hat on that's going to actually win it? Whereas, yes, you know it's probably going to come from that group of select players. But, they're all so so close. You can. It's hard to 
you can make an argument who who's the world number one, who's the best player in the world. It's you can make an argument for for four or five of them, I think, and that hasn't been the case for probably for for a number of years. No, and and we spoke a little bit, didn't we, earlier in the week about uh, and I kind of brought it up that. Everyone kind of focuses on you know, Roy McIlroy being the best when he's at his best, um, and and I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think that there's you can make the same case for DJ, you can make the same case for for Ram, you can make the same for JT. Um, I would say that DJ would probably be my pick out of the lot, but I think that even it's even clearer, you know, when you focus on the fact that it's been you know, what has it been, eight years since Rory won his first major championship and, and six years since he won his last. Um, I don't think that's um, a, co- a coincidence and I don't think that Rory's got any worse at being able to convert a major championship. I just think that everybody else has has got better and and it's uh, so much more difficult to differentiate yourself because what you know what Rory had about him at that period of time was he was an elite driver of the ball and not many people could hang with him in that in that department whereas now everyone's getting good at driving and and there's you know Bryson is obviously an exception in terms of he can hit it even further than everybody else but there's Tony Finau Cameron Champ and all that that are kind of holding up to him as well so it now that one um element of his game is not such a standout area he then has to rely on all of the levels of his game being as good as they can be. I don't even think, to, just to, to really sort of accentuate my point, I, suppose, I don't even know if Tiger Woods could be as dominant as he was in this modern day. That I just, I think that he would be the only one that could probably do it, but but would he even be able to do it? I don't, I don't, I don't know. If, if Tiger Woods came out as a rookie now, would he be able to be as dominant as he was back in you know the late 90s and early 2000s? Yeah, that's a... A hell of a question, I think. It's like I do think I find it hard to believe he wouldn't be able to be dominant um, somewhere near the level that he was. Just from the not that I've ever seen him you know, join those things up close and personal, but you hear like I remember Mickelson having a quote saying it was a couple of years ago. It's like you take the best, the best part of the best guys in the world game now, each department. And you put that together, like the top four. I can't remember who the players were at the time, but it's just like two or three years ago. Um, uh, Spieth was one of them, so I think it was like Spieth putting or something else. Uh, you know, if you did put them all, all in their own their own strengths together, added them up, he said they still wouldn't be as good as what Tiger was. In, yeah. in, and it's so yeah, it's uh, probably because I'm such a Tiger fan that I think that yeah, he'd still be able to do it, whether we, whether we could or not. I'm not so sure, but. Well, I think I am of the belief as well. I think it's just one of those because I think a lot of why Tiger was so brilliant is because he mentally beat people um, before his game even had to. <laughs> like, like we spoke about before, didn't we? About the fact that um, you know he just never made mistakes. And so when he was in the hunt, he, he never yeah. gave anything away. It wasn't just as much of his brilliance and and the flop shots that you see from Phil Mickelson. He just never put himself in those positions. So I do think that he would be. He would certainly be capable of what Brooks has done in, in a short space of time in terms of majors. And I still think that he would be the number one player in the world if he came out now uh, at the same level as he was when he came out in the, uh, the late 90s. Um, I just I just think it's you know incredibly, it's an incredibly good time to be coming out of college as a golfer because I think that it's um, 
you know everything's available to you you'll never get a better chance to to learn how to play the game of golf and analyze all the statistics but it's also the hardest time to be a golfer because the strength and depth is just so good yeah yeah and i think you mentioned like rory on the previous question and i i think that last year last season you had like the player of the year i remember being a huge pretty huge debate really in america from the rory against brooks and it was i mean rory had had on record like strokes gained one of the best outside of tiger i think it's the best strokes gained season of all time and but yeah brooks had won three majors rory hadn't won a major had three wins won the fedex and I don't know he was the best scoring average and he was like top tens. Yeah, I know he top ten at fourteen times out of nineteen events, which is off the charts good. Um <laughs> but yeah, he didn't win a major, whereas Brooks wasn't as as good a scoring average, wasn't quite but he had he came away with two majors. And you just think that that that's the biggest debate. Like I don't think anyone probably in my opinion, probably players I don't think would have questioned that Rory wasn't the best player in the world last year because of how how good he was last year. I mean, he was his consistency was, I think that's probably his most consistent year by far. And like I said, that like, strikes game wise, he was it was outside of Tiger, it was the best there's been. And but yet, Brooks peaked for two majors and managed to get the job done where Rory didn't. And it becomes a, which one which season would you rather have? And I know Rory did win the Player of the Year vote from the on the players, whether that's you never know if that's down personality or or who they like, who they don't like, if if there is anything like that you don't know unless you're on the sort of on the tour. But it's a real big it's a real for me that sums up how difficult the debate is on on how important majors are because you would say if you if you didn't know what events they were that Rory is he's been a better player over the whole season but he had a couple of wins in events that weren't majors and Brooks won a couple of majors and the debate is that, yeah, well, Brooks has had a better year because he did it in the biggest events. So. But that's the thing as well. That's the other point is that, that like you say there, it's probably Rory's best ever season. It's the best he's ever played. Like, he, he literally could not have struck the ball any better. Uh, you know, his chipping and putting was as good as he does. So, you know, certainly slightly weaker areas of his game, but he brought them up to a good level. Um, and he didn't win a major. Like and, and and that's the thing. It's like as soon as he doesn't win a major, it's like what's wrong with Rory McIlroy? Well, there's, there's nothing. There's literally nothing wrong with him. Like he 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 had the best ever season he can ever have, and and didn't win the majors. So does that does that show that then that the majors are not be all and end all, or does it show how difficult majors are to win? <laughs> And and that's why they are so important. It's really it, it's it's one of those ones where you can take you can look at that in two different ways. Of okay, well you can be the best player in the world without winning a major, um, but also you can be the best player in the world and not be able to win a major. It, it really does. It can spawn it off in two different directions. Yeah, it really can. It, it's like I say. I remember when you first asked. I was I come back to that point where I was like, yep, yeah, it's it is it's the ultimate test. The major is the ultimate test, and that's how it should be but the more you break break it down into individual players I'd say just just the pure volume of players who can who has the have the ability to win at any of the majors really it just doesn't it doesn't fit that they can all they can all take one home so it just shows that how you can have the you can have great great players that don't 
great, great players that don't win a major and great stretches of golf that, that aren't rewarded with that. Like, and you touched on like Luke Donald earlier, who was who has gone to world number one, and like I'd have said at the time, he was. I mean, there's not many who have won both order merits, and that's a hell of an a, achievement for a player. But yet, was a short period of time when he was at that at that level, but hasn't got a major, so he's kind of like washed under under the carpet really in a lot of ways. Um, but then, on the flip side of that, is the fact that there's actually not that many players who who don't have at least one major that you would expect to have won one. Um, there's obviously a lot of sort of, you think, sort of like the one-hit wonders that have kind of picked one and really out of nowhere and like a Sean McKeel, uh, Todd Hamilton type winner that you just think, wow, where's that come from? You haven't seen much, ever seen them again, really, compared to like the careers of a Monty and a Westwood. But there's, there's very few that haven't managed to get over the line in a major um, that you would certainly expect to, to pick one up. So they are difficult, they are hard to win because of the people who can win them nowadays. But yeah, somehow they're all, yeah, I think the majority are picking up, but inevitably there's going to be one or two that, that don't and that shouldn't really be the big the big black mark across their name that, that it sometimes held as being. Well, the thing is for me, so if you, uh, a couple of players we, we have mentioned there are Lee Westwood, Luke Donald, both synonymous with, with Ryder Cup victories, with being, you know, world number ones, plenty of European Tour victories. Uh, Miguel Angel Jimenez has got 21 European Tour victories, will always go down as a, as a legend in terms, because people loved his personality, never won a major. Um, you know, Thomas Bjorn famously didn't win that major that he should have won. Um, but ultimately hasn't won one. Uh, Paul Casey, you said earlier, you know, these guys got 16, 15, you know, European Tour victories. Um, but unless they win a major, there's suddenly question marks about whether they're the legends of the game. And then you think, well, Thomas Bjorn is a Ryder Cup winning captain. So what, what is your, I guess, what, what constitutes a, a legendary status, I guess? Because because Poulter, you can sit there and everyone can say, well, he's, he's not a legend because... He uh, was, he's never been the best in any department ever of his game, apart from maybe confidence and uh, just sheer will to win. Um, but he's arguably one of the, the greatest Ryder Cup players. Um, and to be fair to him, um, he's probably won more than than he really even should, given his skill level. I would say. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'd agree that he's a. It's probably an an overachiever in a lot of ways in terms of. Kind of what he brings to the table and what he has done. Um, I wouldn't have him up there personally, um, but it's it's what the what people bring to it as well. Like it's the personality, it's the way they play the game that that goes down in history for me. It kind of pushes people to some to an, another level, probably higher than their game has has deserved to be um, because of the personality they bring. Or like for me. I always looked at, like, I love Fred Couples growing up. He's, he's has won a lot of PJ Tour events, 15 events, PJ Tour. He has a major, but, like, I would have, he's like a, in my eyes, he's like, he's a legend because of the way he plays the game. Like, this is the, the charisma and the, the kind of the such laid back attitude and walk and it's like a lasting memory compared to, um, like a Bernard Langer that maybe doesn't have that personality, but yet his record 
<laughs> is um, like, I think it's forty odd wins on the European Tour, second most all time. It's a couple of majors, hands down. It's had a a much better career. Um, still going on um, Champions Tour, clearing up as well. And, but yet, personality wise, it's probably someone that people uh, maybe flies under the radar a little bit because it, it hasn't stood out. It hasn't done things that really have, have made him him stand out in that same same regard as as people who do have the sort of bit more charisma um, and a bit more, yeah, just that little bit more about them personality-wise, really. And I think the thing is as well is, is you know, we're talking about people that haven't won uh, one major championship. And then I think about the people that have literally just won one. And you've got the likes of uh, Justin Rose. Uh, you've got... Um, you know, you've got Adam Scott, who's been world-renowned for having one of the best goal swings ever. Uh, what He was stuck on one major. Ian Woosnam was world number one, one major. Darren Clark, like you said, one major. There's just a lot of players that have, that have only won one major that you think, but because they've won that one, Jim Furyk's another, they, uh, you know, David Toms, you win one major and suddenly no one questions it. You've never underachieved. You've never... Because you've got that one, um, but you could argue. I mean, not, it, it just seems to me that you, you, you win one and everything's kind of forgotten. Like DJ got over the line, so there's no big criticism over DJ anymore. And it's like, well, actually, you're probably still. Um, it sounds ridiculous after what I said earlier in the podcast, but you probably still underachieved in major championships because he probably could have won more. Um, and then you, you see someone like Louis Ustase, and everyone every time a major championship comes up, they say, well, Louis must have a chance. He absolutely loves major championships. Well, he's won one. Like and he never really wins regular tour events outside of South Africa. Um, so why is why is it that he's this great major player because he got over the line once at St Andrews? Yeah, I mean I think in Lewis' case, I know he, I think he's come second in every major. I think yeah, he has. Yeah, sort of like yeah, one of those that you know that he's he's been up and around it, but it that kind of shows how, I suppose again how difficult it is. To get over line and, and second places can be very different. I mean, Ernie Els was it second every year? Uh, every the three of them when Tiger won by 15 and 12 shots or whatever it was, and he was the guy second, which is Stan as a second, but obviously never had a never really had a sniff at winning. Um, luckily, he was has got his majors and his enough events. But when I was looking into it, in terms of how what's the how can you judge who's gonna not necessarily judge who's gonna do do well in the major, but how they go down in, in history. It seems, for me, it was like, once you start getting to sort of 20 wins, that it, regardless of whether that's um, with a major or without a major, that seems to be where you get to sort of players that will always stick in, I think, people's memories of of being great at a game rather than, and it, it's like, I suppose a major success is, is more the icing on the cake for, for a lot of those, but there's not many who have, when I was going through it, there's many who sort of haven't achieved 20 wins really, or have won and have have a status within the game that isn't isn't very probably like you said, Jimenez having 21 wins is probably the him for me is probably the the least sort of it'd probably be the one that people are most shocked with who have have that many wins, but yeah. he's made that up in the sense of. Everyone knows him through, and even more so, even as he's almost like the older he's 
he he's become older he's got and it's whether it's his warm up stuff and it's a cigar and it's a little <laughs> dance or whatever it is and if he's if you love it or not or it's like he's he's renowned for that. Um but the majority to that point for me are ones where so I think yeah they're they're they are great to the game and um and it shows I mean the one that sticks out for me in the past I mean I, I wouldn't watched any of it really probably very little of him but Greg Norman was such a dominant world number one so many weeks at world number one he's had worldwide wins as many as any like I think it's 20 in the states number 14 or so in Europe and he has won a couple of majors but he's had a lot of majors the odd one you could say slipped through his fingers and he's also had some like, like, <laughs> like holding holding out on him and stuff that he's had a few but but he's Got to go down as being a, a great, even though he, he has let some slip more than somebody who hasn't won a major in that sense. But it's yeah, it just shows that I, th- I think it's the consistency of winning events shows who should go down as being the greats. And then I think a major probably goes down as like a, like I said, the icing on the cake. And then other people maybe haven't got it, but have got some personality and kind of feel like that that side of it boosts the players' place in the history books or takes a little bit away away from it if they're if they're kind of very very reserved and very under the radar type personalities that's the thing with um with greg norman which one of the ones i was going to go on to is that you know he won two uh majors um but he gave up a handful over his career he was so dominant like you say in terms of world number one rankings and it takes me on to my point that only four players have ever won a major uh, when they've been world number one. Tiger was done it 11 times, and he's just the exception to every single rule. And Rory, Freddie Couples, and uh, Ian Woosnam all done it uh, once. And and I just think that kind of shows um, that you can be a, you know, at the very top of your game and not win a major. Like It happens all the time. You're just world number one and don't win a major. And it's it then it then sort of says, well, you know, what is it? Are you the best player in the world? Or can you only be considered the best player in the world and best of all time, etc., if you've won... You know, I think, I think to be to be considered the greatest ever, you've got to have been in the, in the Tiger and Jack in terms of of major wins. You can't deny that. Um, and if any one of these guys get to to ten, twelve major wins in the next, you know, twenty years or whatever, then they'll get themselves up in the discussion. I mean, if it will never happen, I don't think. But if Dustin suddenly got to double figures in terms of majors later on in his career. Um, where does he start to rank? Because, you know, it's uh, one of the stats that I thought about earlier is that Dust, uh, Mickelson took 47 major starts to win his first one. And then because he's won five, that's been com- uh, very quickly forgotten about. Uh, you know, Dustin's only played 45, including the ones that he's won. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think it's really appreciated how long it can take to win just one. And then to then follow that up, and take advantage of some very good form. I mean, Dustin Johnson was the best player in the world when he fell down the stairs at Augusta and missed that Masters. Would he have won one earlier? You know, it's, it, you know, there's so many factors that go into it. And, and to look at some, I think, I think we're probably both in agreement that that maybe Lee Westwood and Colin are the two that you can't, you can't actually uh, ignore as you know legendary status, despite the fact they've never won one. I mean, Westwood's still got a chance, I suppose, uh, over the next couple of years. That it's hard, it is hard to make cases for the other ones that haven't done it because they haven't won so many times. But it's, 
I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think, like I said to you earlier, I was very. I had one when I brought up the subject too. I had one line of thinking that it was, well, I don't think they're quite as important as people make out. And you had you were probably the opposite side of thinking that you you thought it was important. And we've kind of found a middle ground where you can kind of highlight the importance of it whilst also appreciating just how difficult it is and it doesn't really take away as much from someone's game as people suggest it does if you don't win one. Yeah, I think so. And I think the difficulty when you're trying to... when you, It's like um, if I take it into sort of like football, the world-class debate, who's world-class? And it's the same in, in golf. Who's got the legendary status? Who's world-class? Who's how do, you, how do you define that and how you... It's so difficult to in in any sport to really put a, a finite line on that this is what you need to have done because there's so many variables involved. Um, I think it's when I look just through the list of people who've won majors, it's like five majors. When I look at the names from five and above, sort of like Seve Mickelson up to Tom Watson's go players up to obviously the Tiger and Jack, but that's where I feel like. They, in my eyes, is like that's like legends of the game. They'll always be legends. And then you've got the ones after that. There's there's certain ones of asterisks next to them that you sort of say, yeah, well, didn't win maybe that to five, but they've they've won X amount of normal events. Whether and then nowadays, especially with the emergence of WGCs and becoming the importance placed on those. And the players' championship probably as well that people obviously is always talking about <laughs> is it fifth major or not, but it's certainly a a very very strong event if you um, in terms of strength of field. So like guys who you could add those asterisks onto those who have, who have won those type of events or have they won order of merits? I mean, quite often it's like when you go back, whoever won the order of merit was that was the best player that year. Really, there wasn't a lot of real debate for it now obviously that there's a bit more in terms of world rankings people playing all over the world that it's not quite the same uh, in that regard and the FedEx system isn't quite the same as necessary I think this J2 has been the best the best player basically for the last couple of years in terms of um, how many points he would have accumulated on like an order of merit standpoint but he hasn't won a FedEx um, so I think there's a a few aspects and how the game has changed in that sense, but there's not many. I wouldn't. I feel like it's just that it's that defining, it's that definition of who is, what is world class, what is legendary status. Is there's so much grey area involved in that, and it can be quite easy to to cut it down to. Like I'd say that like five majors and above. Yeah, that's that's guaranteed you almost that legendary status. But then. Part of me says that if Brooks won, the, won this week or won in a few weeks' time at the Masters, and he's on five, and I'm like, well, he's only actually won at that stage. Then that might only be his, his um, ninth win, but is he really in the same class that Mickelson has because of all, what they've done outside of it? And Seve with his 50 of wins in yeah. Europe and stuff. And, um, so there, there's always anomalies to it, I suppose, but it's just so hard to get that defined and sort of standard of this is what you need to have done to. To get that, to get to that, and I know even from um, when it was when it was Hall of Fame sort of. I remember that used to get you onto the Champions Tour in the in the states, and you had to. I think it's one major, and is it one major and ten ten victories to get into the Hall yeah. of Fame? But Monty didn't have Monty the got it. Yeah, got in through 
sort of overbending the rules to get him in because I think there's an acknowledgement to what he did achieve as a player rather than, yeah, completely fitting into what their guidelines were that they were like kind of strict on that they, they, they worked it around to, to squeeze him in and it's hard to say that he doesn't deserve that spot from his was it eight or nine order of merits and just a I mean he was a dominant player in Europe for for a large period of time and and coupled with the Ryder's Cup success that that he had and I think that's it's hard to say that he doesn't doesn't want the place in in the Hall of Fame. And that's the thing. The one um, other real main talking point, and it's always a stickler of a topic at the moment, is it's so hard to compare uh, players from different generations, isn't it? So there'll always be an ongoing debate. And, and the reason it's resurfaced uh, today is because of Jack Nicholas's comments about uh, about Donald Trump at the moment. But it's, you know, is Tiger Woods the best of all time versus Jack Nicholas just because Jack Nicholas won more majors. Well, my argument would be, and it's very hard not being there, but from what I understand and from what you read, is that the standard of players when Jack Nicholas and Gary Player and, and Ben Hogan and people like that were playing um, was very limited. Uh, there was a there was a limited amount of players that were actually very very good at golf, and then you had a lot of people playing that were just you know very wealthy people and sons of businessmen and people like that you know the class of field was a lot smaller um obviously they still had to get over the line um and obviously jack won you know later in his career he won one at the masters and things like that but when you look at the actual the amount of major victories obviously jack's on 18 and tiger's on 15 tiger's the complete anomaly here and i think that I think that because because Tiger's done it in this kind of era and he's got 15, it's an unfair target for the other people to try and live up to because you have to go down to to Phil on five and you have to go down to Ernie Els, Rory and Brooks on four before without going right back to kind of like 1901, 1894, 1942, 1920. There's all a lot of players. I mean, Tom Watson's in there, um, but there's a lot of players in there that are just from way back when, when no one really knew, no one, no one's alive to even tell the tale in some of the cases. Like it's, it, it's such a hard thing to to say. I mean, it'll take you'll you'll probably have a better idea if we revisit the conversation in ten years' time of, of who could have got to five, six, seven majors, um, because you know. It's hard to see, but there's there's no saying that Rory will ever win another major. Like the the, the strength in depth, so at the moment the quality on tour, um, it, it might be that it, you know you, you see how long it took for other people to win their first one. That there's certainly a, a certain amount of majors left that he can play um, before he you know before he reaches his peak. Um, so I just think that. That for me, you know, every every time that we go into to a major championship, it's like right, okay. The, when it gets to Augusta, you, heaven forbid, Ricky Fowler's in contention after thirty six holes. It's going to be like, well, okay, and then Ricky Fowler's got a chance to cement his status as, you know, a legendary golfer. Um, he hasn't actually won that many times outside of majors, has he? It's just that he's been very yeah. consistent at a top level. Um, I suppose a better example maybe John Rahm, Justin, uh, you know, Justin Thomas already got him. John Rahm winning his first one. Um, it's just, it was like if Sergio Garcia never won that one at Augusta, would he would he not go down in the history books as one of the best to ever play the game? It's it's, it's where you draw the line, isn't it? Like we've been saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And like I say, 
there's no give, there's no guarantee. Even like a Rory, is he going to win? Will he win another one? This where they used, where you kind of felt there's an ever, there's a inevitability about Rom. I feel like eventually winning one. There's no actual guarantee that he he is going to. And you also add into the fact, obviously, we have seen a a younger class of player come out in terms of Matt Wolf, Malkawa, and Hovland coming out. Who knows what's coming in the next couple of years? Are these guys ready to come out and and get to that level pretty pretty quickly like these guys did? Um, so things are delayed like a year as, as it is kind of now um, in terms of like the promotion from Corn Ferry and people going out there and stuff. But there could be a wave of another few players. All of a sudden, if you add a few more into the, the mix, it becomes even harder for these guys to start racking up multiple wins. Um, and I definitely feel that the depth of players in the, like I said, I know the, like we said at the start, that it's a smaller field at the, at the Masters and it's, uh, you know, you're coming down to 20, 30 guys, but, and the other ones, even, even when those guys, you, you do generally feel that every one of those probably could win the event if they're informed going into it. Um, there is enough guys that you can certainly make a case for that, that could win. Uh, but other events, the, the depth is is much stronger now, and I, well, I feel, and obviously, I, didn't, I wasn't there during the sort of the Jack's heyday and stuff, but it just feels like the the depth is getting closer and closer from the base of the guys probably at the top of the order merits and the top of the world rankings to the guy who's just keeping his card. I feel like gap is just getting smaller and smaller, really, with each year that passes, and that just that. It's just going to make it harder for these guys to start to get to those, you know, five, six, seven, eight major championships. In this, like for me, and there's guys on, on that position on, on one and two majors. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, they are serious players in even in the modern game. That like Jordan Speed, that for a while days. I mean, he got to three, obviously, extremely quickly. It was hard at that time to ever imagine him not getting to 7-8. I know he's had struggles with his game, but even if he got back to the level that he was, I still feel that there's guys, there's so many guys around that level now that it's certainly no no given that even if he got back to the level that he was, that he would then go on and win another three or four majors. It's just, it's just such fine margins now. And I think that, that shows across the board on, like I said earlier, on the world rankings and, um, and really who can win any given week that these guys are, of pegging it up in, and uh, I think there's a distinction on the on the top guys that in their consistency levels, as we probably saw event last week in the states. It's like the standout players of JT and Rom, and it's like they they are there at the end. They didn't get neither got over the line. That everyone's kind of jumping to the conclusion it was a head to head. It ends up being Patrick Cantley coming through and and winning, and that's probably like a little bit of a an insight into how difficult it is to win. Big events. It's the, the big players. It's, it's not. A, it's, it's not a certainty that they, that they are going to add to that tally. Uh, this is the thing. Is it's just that I think the key word that you said is certainty. Is that you know people get pegged as as certain major winners. So John Rahm is considered a, a def, mm-hmm. definitive major winner. There's no. In you, you'll ask some people. There's no way that John Rahm will end his career without winning a major. Um, and I don't think he will. I think he will win one because I think that you know 
Sergio, it looked for a long time like he wouldn't get one, and he did get one. Um, Justin Rose got one. You know, these players do get one eventually if they're consistently put themselves. But then you, but then you've got Lee Westwood. You know, I don't think people. I think because John Rahm's been so good so early on in his career, and he's done it on the PGA Tour, that people don't consider just quite how good Lee Westwood and Colin Montgomery have been and not got it done. Like. And then you've got a uh, Xander Schauffele. Well, he's definitely going to win the U.S. Open at some point because he's finishing the top six three times or whatever, four times. It, it's just there is literally no certainties, and and the reason that that people are so focused on those certainties of, of they must win a major is because Tiger won 15. It's because Rory won four in the space of two years. Like Brooks has won four in the space of two years. Like because there's these anomalies that can do it. Um, and, you know, if, if, when Roy was winning those majors, it would have been, I mean, I can't exactly remember the narrative, but I'd have thought at the time there was like, well, Rory's going to push Tiger's record or, yeah. or Tiger all the way, wasn't it? It was going to be double-digit yeah. majors. There's no way he can't get there. There's a very good chance, a very good chance, that, that Roy gets nowhere near double figures in the end. Like, if he gets yeah. six majors and finishes his career, that might be it. Like, he might get to eight, nine, he might even get to ten. There's no, it's very difficult to predict. I mean, I've just said that Dustin Johnson gets to 10. He's only on one. So, um, but, you know, I just think that, that there's this whole kind of, well, if they don't win a major, um, then then it's, you know, that they weren't good enough. And it, and I think, like you said, going back to the very first point you kind of made, was like tennis players. I always remember uh, Tim Hemmer was such a disappointment for Britain because he never won at Wimbledon and he never won a, you know, a major title. Um, or grand, you know, grand slam, whatever. And it's like, well, no, he didn't. And then when Andy Murray came along, he was a new flavour because he did win one. And it's like, but they're played on the same courts, in the same scenarios, in the same weather conditions. Uh, they have, um, you know, different preparation schedules, different lead ups to it. Whereas golf is just so, it's such an unpredictable sport to the point where you don't even know forget week to week it's like round to round isn't it like you were saying just off air before we came on that you know if you look at when lee west was not one of major he's lost by two or three shots or four shots that's one shot around he could literally have had a bad line in a bunker he could have had uh, he could have been blocked out by a tree because his ball kicked off a, a mound or whatever it could be anything you know a bad he could have had a flyer in a rough it, any one of those things could have happened that you wouldn't have seen on a Thursday and Friday that contributed to him being those one or two shots behind in the first place. That uh, how can that define what a player's career is like? And I think you know, like we keep saying, or like I keep saying, it's that we are basically saying that Westwood and Montgomery. I think we're both in in the category that they are exempt from not being considered legends. Like they are, regardless of whether they've won their majors or not. Um, but then I don't know where the line goes down of who you become. You know begin to forgive and, and let off the hook I suppose. Yeah I suppose in their case I feel like they've just done there's so many worldwide wins there's so much Ryder Cup success that they kind of that adds to their tally and that adds to their sort of um, standing in that regard. Um, also at a point I, I was thinking then when you were talking about tennis as well which is the thing that I jumped straight to first first uh, time you asked me I was like yeah you know that's everyone just counts with Hanley as Federer one in the doll but they just play head to head against one guy, yeah. and it's a knockout. So I mean, when you look at draws, it was almost a guarantee that you knew that, especially for a while when uh, Murray and Djokovic were sort of at their, everyone was kind of fit, and when they were kind of close to their peaks. And I, I know 
they're still playing now, Djokovic and Nadal, to a very high level. But you almost knew that was going to be the semi-final lineup. It was a shock if that wasn't. So it then came down to just beating... You've got to beat two guys, basically, from in that regard. Um, I mean, that's really simplifying it down, I know. But it is only one head-to-head where these guys have got to beat... If there's if you just say there's there's ten or twelve of them who are informed going into it, it's you've got to beat those guys over four days. There's so much that can that can happen. It's it's not as simple to win, and not as simple maybe isn't. Don't want to take it away from tennis, but it's it's just not. There's two. There's more variables in golf than there is in in that in that aspect, and I think that makes it harsher to judge them purely by that. Um, Whereas at the start, my first thoughts were, oh no, that's what everyone remembers. That's what everyone thinks of um, across the individual sports of what have you done in the in the very biggest events. Um, but yeah, I think with the, I find it hard to kind of go past past the Monty Westwood when I when I go through it to see who who else can get a a nod who doesn't have a major. Um, or people that we know well, my personalities maybe that. Like I used to mention Ricky Fowler, but it's, I think it's only he's only once five times in the states. Yeah, it's hard to believe. For it's kind of hard to believe when you can. I'd probably have said he was up there with a, a, you know, an elite player for. I know he's not quite there at the minute, but for quite a lot of years, and he felt like he was up there and contending in a lot of majors, and it was like he was knocking on the door and knocking on the door, and then probably in a search for that last little bit, he's now dropped off a notch, and that's a that's. The difficulty is there's how you try and cl- if you if you're chasing that success and you're chasing that those fine margins which all players are obviously constantly trying to improve but if you're really just trying to chase that that small margin of a major when it could just be a bounce here and there and I alluded to you earlier like I remember reading a Henrik Stenson article and he was basically saying unless the winner wins kind of in a, in a runaway fashion then he is he considers that he's played well enough to win that event. If he's in the top 10, he just says it's, it, it feels like I'll, I probably have played well enough. It's just a matter of, you know, like, like you said, those breaks, you hit it in the trees, you have a shot out of the trees or you hit it and you manage to get a, a fortuitous drop in terms of the grandstand starting away. You didn't have a shot. Now you get a drop. Now you knock it on the green and things that maybe go under the, slightly under the radar early in the week that, and then, those big breaks often are highlighted on a Sunday, but there could be quite a few of those that have added up over the first two or three days that maybe people haven't seen and have gone your way or haven't gone your way. And you, you, at the end of the day, there's no, there's, you can you can hit the golf ball as 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 pure as you like, but it, there's there's a lot of variables that go on and that make that shot either go close or not. And um, I know it used to be. I'm still a few years ago and. I'm not sure if it's exact, still true now, but I know that three or four years ago, you could basically, the ball could be hit exactly the same in terms of smash factor, speed, spin, um, club, every dynamic the same. And the goal ball still has a variance of three yards. So, I mean, that's a distance that it goes. So, not that that's everything, but that's three yards that you might hold a shot on on the Thursday afternoon that all of a sudden those couple of yards might have it, it's gone a bit further, it's gone seven feet past and you might not have made that putt and all of a sudden that's, that could be a two-shot difference that at the time people would just go, oh, well, it's a great shot, you hold it. Or, but there's just natural variance in in the sport that 
yeah, you need those certain little things that are going to have to sort of fall into your lap in order for you to to win an event. And I think the the best players do often get over the line just sheer through the fact that they get up there so often that one either falls on their lap or they do something special that gets them over the line. This is the thing: is that so? Not we're talking about you know how hard it is to win a major because there's only four a year. Uh, and all the different variables between courses, you know, runner form, injuries, etc., uh, and then the size of the draws you're on, everything. It's actually just hard to win full stop. And you know, you look at someone like Tony Fee now. Okay, there's always a massive criticism about him, and and the difference between him and and John Rahm is ten victories. Okay, I know you know six of those for Rahm came on the European tour, so it's a bit of a maybe an unfair comparison. But let's take the five PGA Tour wins that he's got versus. Finau's one, um, you know, that that's more than just luck because John Rahm is obviously very good at putting himself in contention. But in terms of just actual skill set, um, and in terms of just raw ability, um, I, you know, Tony Finau is an exceptionally good player, and and he sometimes he beats himself, sometimes he doesn't quite. I think for me, it's a lot of it is just so laid back that he maybe doesn't have the the intensity to win as much as the others do, but. Um, it would be no surprise to me if he wins in Augusta in three weeks' time. And and if he wins that one major, he's suddenly going to become this guy that, you know, he's absolutely fine, he's a closer, etc., etc., when really we've had two or three years proving otherwise. And it it just, to me, just it, it's just that mindset, isn't it? it, it and and a really good point you made about the, the tennis thing, and, and I think it's true of basically every other sport except for... Uh, except for golf, is that you you have just got to beat what's in front of you. And you look at the guys that are really good at match play uh, and really good at the Ryder Cup. Uh, you know, Ian Poulter is exceptional just beating a guy in front of him. Um, you know, Woods was hasn't got a great Ryder Cup records, but he's brilliant in singles because he's good at just beating the one guy that's in front of him. Um, Sergio Garcia, very good at beating the one guy in front of him, but it took him years to win a major. Like it's, And then you get the very elite people um, like a Nick Faldo that's brilliant at doing both. It's just that uh, there is just such a fine line between beating one person consistently over and over again, like they do in tennis, and, and having the best of 70 that make the cut over the weekend and best of them over two rounds to get it done. It's just, it is so, it's so difficult. It's so, there's way too many variants to say you're not a legendary player unless you've won a major. But there has to be the line drawn. So I guess what we're trying to say here is that the, that Westwood and Monty are the two. They're the two that you can say they're legendary, regardless of whether they, you know, Westwood ever wins a major or not now. Um, but what players are coming up? You know, if 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 John Rahm goes on to win another 15 PGA Tour events, but doesn't win a major, can he not be considered a legend? Like it's just. Uh, to me, it's just, especially in this day and age now, because it's so because it's so hard to win. I mean, Matthew Wolves played two and finished fourth and second. Mm. Like that's how good <laughs> that's how good yep. these guys are now. I mean, he's the youngest of the lot as well. He's 21, isn't he? So he, <laughs> if he's that good that early, then then what hope is something? You know, DJ can be as brilliant as he is for a whole season, but if he's just not quite on it that one week, because he showed that when he's really on it, he won by however many strokes he won at Northern Trust by. Um, 11 strokes, whatever it was, yeah. um, you know. But to you, that's like catching lightning in a bottle. That's not going to happen every week. So to be able to do that 
on one of the four occasions that he's got over a calendar year in a major. It's just it's just so tough. It really is. Yeah, yeah, without doubt. And then you take that like DJ performance there that he wins by so many. If that happens to be a major week, he wins it by. He's still going to win by so far, in my opinion. I know it's a different setup than um, to how that course would have played, but he was so far above everybody else that week that it didn't. It wouldn't have really mattered. I don't think where they were playing, he would have. He would have been victorious, and like guys would always look to peak for majors, and they'll always talk about you know you want to trend in the right direction, everything's and the build up, everything's geared towards playing well at Augusta, and then it's geared towards each big event coming up and but as a profession and as the game goes it's it as much as you want to peak there's there's zero guarantee that you are going to you can do the exact same preparation as you did the previous year when you you won a major and you're going back if it was augusta and you're going back to the same one you do the same amount of practice practice uh, rounds beforehand you do the same build up in terms of what you did at home in the lead up and there's zero guarantee that you're going to be playing anywhere near the level that you were that previous year just that when when it's on yet yeah, I suppose that's the the weeks that it's on that you're just hoping that that falls into the you're hoping to you give yourself the best chance of falling into the category of where you're close to your peak and close to your best game and you're just giving yourself the best chance to get get to that level but there's certainly no no assurances that you are going to be in that position when it when it comes to to a major whereas over the over a year, two, three years, it's always very clear to see who the best players are in that in that time frame through consistency of, of wins of up there, scoring average, top fives, top tens, and it's just it really stands out. Um, and like I say, it was an interesting one. I think when you were talking about Tony Finau, because he comes up in discussion with like some of my friends at every every big event really that comes around because he's he, his major record in terms of sort of like top tens is is really impressive, and but yet his only win is in a sort of like a almost like a co- secondary like, event, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, like yeah. A, yeah. And you're like, how on earth he's got the game? It clearly shows that he has the game in the in the big events. It's it's kind of always I feel like tries to sort out the. The strongest players in the, in the biggest events, and he he's shown across all of the majors that he, he can compete and get up there, but doesn't get a doesn't get across the line and on a regular event. It kind of shows how difficult it it is it is to win at any given stage. Um, I do feel that it's probably has when I watch him, he seems to have a slight weakness on the greens, and it kind of it comes out, and maybe that's the one slight thing that holds holds him back, or if it is. Whereas I watch it wrong, I don't feel like he really has any weakness um, to note. But there is no, like you say, that's where I feel like it's a, it's an inevitable um, outcome that he is going to Ron will win a major, but he still hasn't done yet. And there's there's no, it, it could easily you could easily say that he'd be in contention for the next six out of the next eight majors and actually just get pipped at the line by one of the other great players and it, all of a sudden you a few years down the line where he's probably he's probably racking up two, three, four wins a season hasn't been a major and then all of a sudden is he questioned of not being that great great as great a player and he could be world number one for that period as well and 
not pick a major up. And then over a period, I think over time, that's where Monty and Westwood can stand out because they have done, their careers are, I say I know Westwood still is very competitive now, but, you know, they've got a body of work behind them where you can say, okay, yeah, it's been a long period of time that they have been successful um, and kind of have had a bit of separation against the other guys. Like I mentioned, like Luke Donald, who has achieved some very unique things in the game, but not quite the longevity that, that Monty and Westwood and that have achieved. And it's only with time that you, you can really put these players into the into those brackets, really. Yeah, I think that's one of the key words I was going to pick up from what you just said there is longevity. That's why they uh, that's why they stood up for so long. Like the fact that Westwood's still winning even this year, mm-hmm. when you compared to whatever it was when his first win, I don't kind of mid nineties. I'm guessing it was his first win. Um, you know, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, some of these golfers that he's playing against were barely even born when he was in his first event. Like, it's, yeah. it's absolutely ludicrous. Like, that's how, and I suppose that's why he gets himself into where it is. And the other, one more thing I think I just want to talk about before we go is, is even just like, it really even just comes down to like the scenarios you get yourself in. So I think about Shane Larry at the Open Championship. Now, uh, home event, okay, there was tough conditions which play into his hands. Um, at times, um, but if he didn't get off that reasonably good start, I mean he was second after the day one. That's calming the nerves straight down, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has uh, a cushion going into Sunday um, against another player in Tommy Fleetwood that that you know pushed him, but not quite to an extreme. You know, when, when I think about Westwood, when I think about the ones that he's lost. He lost out to Mickelson at the Masters because Mickelson was just not going to get beat that week. He lost out to Tiger Woods at the U.S. Open, like. It, it all just depends on who you come up against. If you come up against, um, you know, I mean, Jimmy Walker won a, a major and he would have beaten, like, I can't remember who he would have beaten. And Martin Keimer beat, like, Eric Compton and things like that. Like, it all just, all the scenarios of who you would have come up against, like, some of the very best that wouldn't have won got beat by the very best. And some of the ones that won some, I mean, like, you look back at the record of some of the people that, that Tiger would be. I was listening to a podcast earlier, Rock Media, and the greatest respect to Rock Media. He wasn't ever one of Tiger Woods' biggest challenges. He did have a very good record against him, push him as far as he could. But in terms of stature and, and player, Tiger Woods wouldn't have feared him. So that probably allows Tiger Woods to go on and do what he did, even in the, with the, the hampering out of his leg and things like that. So, um, you know, Rory had lesser of a competition than the PGA. had like people like David Lynn and Carl Peterson, people like that in the PGA Championship. Like it's, It all just depends on... Uh, What's going on around you? What the weather's like? What draw you're on? And when and when that is, when there's so many factors. How can it be the barometer is kind of where I just want to summarise with that. Yeah, I think like a couple. I was picking up on one sort of thing. I, as I was thinking when you were talking, then it's like, like when you say like obviously like when Rory won, um, it's 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 David Lynn kind of pushing him down the back nine and players who are not of the a similar status as so to speak that I feel like those players must have a real comfort level that they're they look around knowing that it's likely that these guys haven't been in, in and around this situation before it's pretty they know that I'm a better player than they are really I know I'm a better player than they are and it's kind of like that comfort and unless something crazy happens I am going to come out on top which it's probably where Tiger was. It probably felt all the time like he was like, "Well, I've joined his heyday." He's probably thought, "Well, all these guys think that I'm better than they are, and I know that I'm better than they are." And there's inevitability there that 
I, I don't do anything silly. I am going to come out on top here. Where it's a little different if you're going on a. There obviously is some that go the opposite way in terms of like Todd Hamilton and being at beating Ernie Els in the in a playoff, which even at that stage is like, well, it's, Ernie's going to find a <laughs> find a way to get this done. There's just no way that this happened. So there, as always, there are little ones that, anomalies that go against it. But I think there must be for the the better players, the real high ranked players, there must be a comfort level when they're going against a a guy not considered on their in their own mind on their level. Whereas if you're a, like a, like even when Garcia went on to win his him and Rose. You hard, it's hard to pick between those two players, really, on who's the better career, who's the better player, and obviously push each other to unbelievable heights during that back nine and what they achieved at Augusta to and for Garcia to come out on top. But if if that's a a rose in that situation against a somebody not not close to his what he would consider like his level of play, I'm sure his comfort level is just that bit more, that a little bit higher that he feels that it's going to go his way and. He is going to get over get over the line at one way or the other, rather than if it's someone close to you, then it's it's. I mean, I've, I'll watch that. I'm mean, watching that. It feels like a flip of a coin, really. Who's going to get? Who's going to win? It's so hard to to pick in that sense, and I'm sure the players feel that way. As I'm trying to say, I suppose they just feel a bit more, probably a bit more confidence when they're looking over their competitor, and it's not if you're Brooks coming down the line and you're looking over, and it's not DJ going against you down the stretch. It's you probably feel that, yeah, this is going to be, I'm going to get this done, this is my week, and that inevitably that little bit of pressure off me in that sense, or a little bit of extra confidence, gets you over the line. Yeah, and, and that's the thing as well, another person I sort of think of in that ilk is, is Adam Scott, I mean, he, he famously blew up at Living St Anne's, didn't he, in the Open yeah. Championship, and, and that was compared to Greg Norman, um, he shot 64, I think it was, on the first day, only to be matched by Brant Seneca on the second day, and, and Seneca then has a lead uh, going into the, into the third round. And then Scott takes that four-shot lead into the final round, but behind him are Snedeker, who he knows is a brilliant putter and has shot, you know, matched his low score of the week. Graham McDowell um, and Ernie Els, obviously, who came on to, to win that. You know, he had no kind of leeway there. And then he goes in his... his his master's win, he comes up against Angel Cabrera, who, um, not to take anything away from Angel Cabrera, is not as supremely talented as people that Scott would have played against, um, but he is obviously a fierce competitor and has won major championships. But Scott always spoke of his comfortability of playing with, with Angel Cabrera. They got on very well. Um, he's a very likeable character. You know, he's not going to get any mind games from him. Angel just plays within himself and, and gets on with it type of thing. There was just a level of comfort um, and when you have that, and obviously he was playing with with fellow Aussies to to even get to that playoff in the first place, it's just how the cards land in your lap on that given week. Um, and because even you know that's very easy to say. Like if I said that over a course of a season, oh they just got lucky that one week, I don't think that would be fair because I think that the best players succeed over a course of a week, and you generally see the likes of Ram and and Thomas and, and Rory have multiple chances throughout a season. Um, but just on on a on a four four events a week, it's just hard to say. Well, you know how unlucky they might have got, or how lucky they might have got that one week. That, that's I just think that it's so volatile that it's just hard for it to be a barometer. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that you always need, and I believe you always need the element of luck to win a tournament. Certain factors, and like saying that comfort level and confidence level, the fact that the best players often win win more and win 
do win majors is because they just they they just give themselves far more opportunities than any other player. But and that's eventually, if you just keep putting yourself up there, it's going to fall in your lap, or you're going to do something special in order to get over the line. It's going to, it's going to be your week, or it's things are just going to fall your way. But if you're there enough times, it's likely to happen. Which I think for me highlights the fact that only Monty and Westwood. Uh, any two really stand out that haven't got over the line um, but definitely from my initial standpoint which was purely no it's it's you have to it's majors that's all that matters there's nothing else in the game when you actually look into it a lot deeper and you you really try to break it down it, it becomes very hard to say that that's the only barometer of how you judge someone's success and how they're going to be judged in 10 15 20 years time looking back on on their careers and how 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 they place themselves in in history, and I think that yeah. it's a, it's a just a very difficult it's very difficult to draw that line. And the same, like a certainly to stick to that point of how do you define a legend or how do you define world class? And not only is it achievements, I feel like it's certainly how they portrayed in the media. How do they come across that certainly influences people's opinions of of certain players? Absolutely. So I think. I think really to summarise, we're saying that yes, obviously there is a, a very high level of importance. It is a marker uh, for many a player that you know if they win one after a great body of work of 20 wins, 10 wins, etc. It does cement their status. Um, and for the most part, if you don't reach it, then then unfortunately you're not part of that elite group. But it is maybe more of an elite group than than people kind of realise, especially when you consider multiple major winners. I think there's there's a lot of one-time major winners that have, that have cemented their status um but there's a lot of guys that that um you know, there's not a lot of guys sorry that have won two or three and, and then you start looking at you know woods as a, as a massive anomaly in his current day so um people shouldn't get too hung up on whether roy McIlroy wins a grand slam um people shouldn't get too caught up if bryson doesn't win the masters because it will be possibly the fact that he gets beat by six or seven other uh, you know, really high-level deserving types in the sorts of Ram and Thomas and things like that. It's just, it's just a case of who they've got to play against, what the conditions are, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's our take on it. I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there and and uh, certainly look forward. I think that this is going to be unique Masters, isn't it? In the sense that it's in November. That's another element again. Uh, when people think that someone's a dead certainty to win at Augusta at some point, this isn't. This is one, you know, one Masters that isn't going to be like any other. So you can almost take that one away. Um, and there's going to be guys there that are just completely out of form. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this uh, in these coming weeks. And uh, we look forward to viewing it soon. Yes, without a doubt. I think it'll be a, it'll be an amazing a Masters to watch. And so many side stories, so many so many uh, lines from the Bryson to, to, to win, dominating and winning again, all the way through to is Ryan going to get his first one. So I just think there's so... We all know the course so well. It makes for great viewing. I think it it will always throw up a a huge storyline come Sunday. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Charlie, for joining me. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. No worries. Thanks for having me on.